Hi there, it's Gregory Dickow, and I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast and joining me from all over the world. I especially want to thank all of our amazing partners and those who support this ministry. It means so much to me, and it's helping us to take the message around the world. I'm excited for you to hear today's episode. I know you're going to be encouraged, inspired, and one step closer to the best version of yourself. Enjoy. Welcome to the Gregory Dickow Podcast. Today I want to talk to you about winning the battles of life, winning the battles of life. Last week we talked about how this is spiritual warfare and the miraculous power of gratitude or the miraculous power of thanks. And I've been talking about thanks and gratitude for the last several weeks. And I don't want us to learn thanks as a manner or I don't want us to just learn thanks as a, a good habit. I want us to learn thanks as truly the spirit of our lives, remembering what God has done and having an awareness that if it wasn't for him, no, no good thing would ever come into our lives. It's all because of God. Every good thing you have came from the father. Can anybody say amen to that? And I want us to be a people that are truly thankful, a truly grateful people. You know, I'm really not concerned about your holiness. I'm concerned about your gratefulness, because if you can really develop a grateful heart, holiness will be the overflow of gratefulness. It really will, because thankfulness focuses on the good things that God has done. Fear focuses on the bad things that you don't have or the bad things or the things that haven't happened or the things that, that might happen. But thanks and gratitude focuses on the things that have already happened, the good things that God has already done in your life. And every miracle and every breakthrough begins with what you have, not with what you don't have. The widow that had lost her husband and her two sons were about to be taken as slaves to pay off her debt. She went to the prophet and said, what am I supposed to do? And he said, what do you have in your house? You need a miracle, but your miracle doesn't start with what you don't have. Your miracle starts with what you do have. And when she said, well, all I have is a jar of oil, he said, grab it and borrow vessels and start pouring it. And the miracle breakthrough occurred because of what she had, not because of what she didn't have. She focused on what she had. Gratitude is all about focusing on what we have. And it is truly spiritual warfare because the devil wants you focused on what you don't have. He wants you focused on what what you're not and what you don't have. And God wants you focused on who you are and what he's already done for you. And we're going to talk about this a little bit because I really want to talk about winning in the battles of life. And and if I could if I could say it to you this way, the ancient Greeks had this phrase called know yourself. And most people attribute that phrase to Socrates, that Socrates formulated that phrase, know yourself. And it was proud. It was so um, profoundly important to the Greeks that they inscribed it in the stone on one of their temples. Know yourself. The message behind these two words is that we can understand all human behavior, all emotion and all thought by understanding ourselves. In fact, Ephesians 1:11. I want to read this verse to you in the Message Bible, Ephesians chapter one, verse 11 in the Message Bible. And I want you to see what this says. It says it is only in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. In other words, you're never going to find out 
who you are until you know who you are in Christ. It's only in Christ that you discover your true self. It's only in Christ that you discover who you really are. It's only in Christ that you begin to become aware of the fact that you're more than a conqueror, that you're more than an overcomer, that you're the head and not the tail. You're the righteousness of God. You're blessed coming in and blessed going out. It's only in Christ that you find out who you are and what you're living for. You'll never know what you're living for until you know who you are. And it's only in Christ that we discover those things. In fact, I like this scripture in um, also in Romans chapter 12, verse three, also of the Message Bible, Romans chapter 12, verse three. He said, I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me. And especially as I have responsibilities for you, he said, living then as you already do, he says, as every one of you does in pure grace, everybody say pure grace. Pure grace means unmixed. It's not the it's not God's grace and the law. It's not God's grace and our works. It's God's grace that results in good works. Now, he says it's important that you do not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, he says God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and what he does for us. The only accurate way of understanding ourselves is by what God is and what he does for us. What a powerful and profound concept that you're not going to really know who you are till you know who you are in Christ. And you're not going to understand yourself until you understand what God is and what he's done for you. Not verse four, where he says not who we are and what we've done for him. It's not about what we do for God. It's about what he does for us. That's how you identify yourself. That's how you discover the true you. That's how you truly walk in a healthy relationship with God by realizing what he is and what he's done for you. That's how you discover what you are. That's how you understand yourself. Does that make sense? Now, I want to I want to show you this in Scripture and help you to really learn how to win the battles of life. And we're going to and we're really going to get some breakthroughs today. And it's probably not what religion has taught you. It's going to be completely different, maybe, than what tradition or what religion has taught you. But there was a sixth century author of the greatest book on warfare that most generals and most military people uh, have ever, you know, most of them have ever thought and most of them have ever read. This is they say this is the best book on war. It's called The Art of War by a Chinese author named Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu. It's the art of war. And in the book, The Art of the War, written in the sixth century, he said that there were three secrets or three keys or three pillars to winning every battle. He said, and if you go into a battle understanding these three things, you will win every battle that you ever go into. You have to understand these three things, though, if you only know one of them, but not the other two, you know, there's no guarantee that you will win every battle. But if you know these three things, you will win every battle. And history has proven his research and his study and his um, his principles to be to have been true. And they come from God's word anyway. And they're really from God's word formed in a way that is really simple and easy to understand. So he said these three things are the essential ingredients to winning any battle. He said you must know yourself. Number one, you must know yourself. Who are you? What are you? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Number one, you must know yourself. Number two, you must know your enemy. 
In other words, you can't go into a battle not knowing what you're fighting. You're going to lose every time if you don't know what you're up against or if you're fighting the wrong fight. And let me just break this down in a simple way where it comes to our when it comes to our finances. So you're if you're going through a financial struggle and you believe that the that the, the, the solution to your problem is just to have more money, you could end up with more money, but continuing to fail and lose just because you haven't been spending the money you already had in the right way. You haven't been a good steward. Uh, Look, you might pray, oh, God, give me more money. And God's like, I'll give you more when you're a better steward of what you have. Mm, Not a lot of amens on that. But is it football season or what? You you, you got somewhere to be. Um, (laughs) But this is the truth. See, a lot of people think that the solution, you know, to to you know, the, the, the solution to health is just, oh, God, heal me. And while God is a healer and Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever, and he loves healing people. And by his stripes, we were healed and he has provided healing as a as a part of the blessing and a part of uh, the new covenant. And yet, even if God healed you and even if you experienced supernatural healing, there's also some things that you need to do to take care of yourself. Mm, I'm I'm really hitting on all the wrong points today, aren't I? But if you don't if you don't if you don't get good rest, if you're full of stress, if you don't you know, it's not just what you eat and exercising, although those those are definitely a part of it, but it's what you're thinking about. It's not you know, it's not always what you're eating that creates health or sickness. It's what's eating you. Oh, all right. Um, Listen now. So we need to we need to realize that. So you might think the battle is for, to get your healing, but the real battle is what are you thinking about? What are you meditating on? What's bothering your mind? What are you what, what are the thoughts that are flooding your 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 body and your emotions? Because that has so much power, more than we realize. Proverbs 23, seven says, as a man thinks within, so is he. In other words, your outward life is going to take the shape of your inward thoughts. Your inward thinking is going to shape your outward life or your outward behavior, your outward choices and decisions. So it's so so you have to know yourself, you have to know your enemy and you have to know your weapons. The third thing is you must know your weapons. Now, think about it. If you really look at the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, which is the new covenant uh, after the cross, after Jesus died on the cross, the new covenant went into effect. And now we have a relationship with God based on grace based on the blood of Jesus, based on the fact that we're forgiven and we're washed and we're made the righteousness of God. We no longer we no longer have a relationship with God based on fulfilling the laws, which was the old covenant. But we have a relationship with God based on him fulfilling his promises, which is the new covenant. Still with me? Would you go home today? But if you break down the new covenant, it's all about identifying who you are as a new creature in Christ. Behold, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away and all has become new. Are you with me still? So he said, so so it's and you go throughout scripture. We just read Ephesians 111. We read Romans 12, 3. We could just go through all of Ephesians chapter one, two and three. It's all about who you are. And then Ephesians chapter four, five and six is all about how to live, how to live out who you are. But you can't live out chapter four, five and six if you don't first know who you are in chapter one, two and three. Really, Ephesians is a book that is really a um, a microcosm of the Christian life. The first three chapters all are about your identity, who you are in Christ. And the final three chapters are all about how to walk that out. 
So you have in Ephesians five, it talks about family and marriage and raising kids. And Ephesians six, it talks about spiritual warfare. And you can't walk in spiritual warfare. You can't walk in successful relationships until you know who you are. So this is why this writer truly captured the essence of how to win every battle. And it applies to our spiritual lives. You got to know who you are. You got to know yourself. You got to know your enemy and you got to know your weapons. So you go through what Ephesians chapter six and it talks about the weapons of our warfare, not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He talks about put on the whole armor of God. And he says, you got the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This you got to know your weapons. Now, if you know these three things, you cannot fail in any battle that you ever face. Now, listen, so if that's true, which it is, and it's been proven over time for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, it's been proven that if you know yourself, if you know your enemy and if you know your weapons, you'll win every battle. So where should our focus be? Figuring out how to win the battle? No. Knowing ourselves, knowing the enemy and knowing our weapons. You say, no, I believe that everything has to do with knowing God. Absolutely. Don't get overly spiritual on me now. Of course, it's all about knowing God. But God, when you know him, you'll know yourself because you're made in his image. You got to know what he did for you. That's knowing God. You discover what God is like by knowing what he's done for you. And then by knowing what enemy is trying to rob you of that and how he operates. And then by knowing the weapons to use to stop him from operating, the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say defeat the devil. It says resist the devil. And the reason why God doesn't tell us to defeat the devil is because he's already been defeated. Jesus defeated the devil 2000 years ago. And when Jesus Jesus last words on the cross were it is finished, he didn't say uh, it's halfway done. Aren't you glad he didn't say the second quarter's over? Aren't you glad he didn't say you guys take it from here now? I can't finish this. I need you to finish this. He said it is finished. And life now lived from the finished work of the cross is a life that will be victorious and you'll win every battle when you realize the battle has already been won. The price has already been paid. The debt has already been paid. The time has already been. The sentence has already been served and the victory has already been won. That's why we can't go into the battles of life until we realize that the battle is already won and it's the Lord's battle and he's fighting for us and he's really fought for us. But the battle is not yours anymore. It's the Lord's. Now, what is our fight? Our fight is according to first Timothy, chapter six, verse 12. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Come on, help me now. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, first of all, there's something to note there. This is a good fight. You know what a good fight is? It's the ones you win. Say, how'd that fight go? Oh, man, it was really good. Really? What happened? I lost. Well, then it wasn't a good fight. I guarantee you nobody's going to call it a good fight if you lost. The only good fights are the ones you win. Don't forget that old saying. Well, he at least he put up a good fight. No, no, no. There's no good fight. It's not a good fight unless you win. And the, the beautiful thing is you've already won. So he says, fight the good fight of faith. In other words, the fight, the battle, 
that we're truly in is the battle between our ears. What do we believe in here? What are we thinking in here? That's where the battle is. The battle's not out here. You're not fighting the demon behind the coffee pot. You're not fighting the devil in the in, in, in the heavenlies. He said, pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. A stronghold is something that has a stronghold is a mindset that has gotten a stronghold over you. A stronghold is not a bunch of demons in the corner, you know, can I get you? It's a, the, the, the strongholds are not. It's not a bunch of zombies from The Walking Dead. It's not a bunch of demons in the corner. We, yes, there are devils, but they're afraid of you. They're far more afraid of you than than you are of them. The devil just wants you to think that demons have more power. But the Bible says these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. But he said they'll cast out demons. He doesn't say the demons will cast you out. There's only one person or there's only seven people in the Bible that we know of that the devil ever cast out. It was the seven sons of Sceva. And remember what they said? They said to the demon possessed man, we adjure you in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. He, there's no third, you know, uh, what, what do you call it? Um, what is it? Third, third person or third, third party. There's no God didn't give you third party authority. Like I command you in the name of the Jesus that I heard them talking about at Life Changes and the pastor, I forget his name, but uh, he said something about the authority and in the name of him and in the name of the, the Jesus that he talked about, I command you in the name of the Jesus of Nazareth, of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost and uh, and the most with the hostess with the Moses, the Holy Ghostess in Jesus name, I command you to go. No, 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 you can't have a third person relationship or whatever we call that thing. So as soon as he said, I command you in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. And the Bible says the demon jumped out of the man. So I think, you know, partially mission accomplished. The demon did come out of the man, out of the out of the out of the man, but jumped on the seven sons of Sceva and ran them out of the house, tore their clothes off and they went running out. Why? Because the demon responded back when he said, uh, I command you in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. And the demon answered and said, um, Jesus, I know. And Paul, thank you, somebody's finishing it for me. There's something called a, a pause for dramatic effect. You got to give me a chance. <laughs> he said, Jesus, he said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who the are you? Look, why didn't the devil know these guys? Because they didn't know who they were. Oh, you know who they identified themselves? The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest. Sons of Sceva don't have power over the devil. Sons of God do. Sons and daughters of God have authority over the devil. So you got to know who you are. You got to know yourself. You got to know the enemy and you got to know 
your weapons. Boy, if we would just zero in on that for a little while and for the next several weeks, months, years of our lives, you win every battle. You'll learn to win every battle. But what do we forget? You see, we don't get defeated because the devil's more powerful. We get defeated because we forget. We forget. That's what the Bible says. When you look into the word of God, you're looking into the mirror. But if you walk away, you forget what kind of person you are. Then you end up losing in life because you you looked in the mirror of God's word. Then you walked away and forgot what kind of person you are. And that's why we need to continue to look in the mirror of God's word, because it tells us what kind of person we are. It tells us who we are in Christ. It tells us what Jesus has done for us. It tells us that we're sons and daughters of God, children of God. Beloved, behold, how lo- what love the father has bestowed upon us that he would call us children of God. He said, for these are the children of God. And when they understand you're the child of God, you'll be led by the spirit. It says it says you'll walk in authority. It says sons and daughters will prophesy. Sons and daughters will cast out demons. Sons and daughters will build a legacy. Sons and daughters will fill the house. Sons and daughters will be the pillars of God's kingdom. Sons and daughters will uh, will will establish God's kingdom in earth as it is in heaven. Listen, this is who you are and this is what the devil's trying to rob you of. And he's been doing it from the beginning of time. He's been doing it since time began. Listen to how the devil operates, folks. The first people that were created by God made in his image. According to his likeness. Genesis 1:26. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Right. So what did God make man in? He made man in his image and in his likeness. Right. And let them have dominion. So this is how God created man. So what does the devil do? The first thing the devil does, he's not trying to look. The devil's not trying to get Adam and Eve's dominion. He's not trying to get Adam and Eve's place in the garden. He's trying to rob Adam and Eve of the knowledge of who they really are. So what happens? So in Genesis chapter three, it says uh, the serpent comes to Eve and says, as God really said, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden and chap- and verse one and two. And he says, well, she says, well, God said we can eat uh, from the garden, but not from the tree in the middle of the garden unless we die. And look at what he goes on to say. He said, you shall not die. For God knows, verse five, God knows the day you eat it, you'll you'll be like you'll, you'll know good and evil and you will be like God. Your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. You'll you will be like God. This is the lie of the devil. You will be like God. You will be like God. They see the devil's always trying to promise you something that you'll be in the future when God already established you as that thing in the past. You already are that thing. The devil's always trying to put that carrot in front of you. That's what religion does. Well, one day you'll be holy. One day you'll be godly. One day you'll be God. God will be pleased with you. One day God will be happy with you. One day you'll got to love you more. One day you'll love God more. One day you'll do this better one day. And, and see, that's how the, that's how religion operates. But God already made you like him. He already said two chapters earlier, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Look at what he says in verse three or chapter three, verse five. He says, if you can keep that last verse up there, he said, no, God knows. This is Satan talking. God knows. And the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Guess what? They already were like God. So what was Satan after the knowledge of their identity so that they didn't know who they are? Because if you don't know yourself, you're going to lose the battle. They didn't look. 
They didn't know they didn't know themselves. They forgot who they were. They forgot who they were based on Satan's lies. They they believed the lie and forgot who they were. They didn't know their enemy. He came as a serpent. They thought, oh, well, this is just a serpent. They didn't understand Satan was using that serpent. How many know there are some there are some people that are they may even be saved people in your life. But you got to recognize how Satan sometimes will use people. Mm. In this case, Satan's using an animal and he's he's possessing this serpent to get to to disguise himself. Why? Because if Adam and Eve don't know who they are, they don't know themselves. And if they don't know the enemy and if they don't know their weapons, then they're going to lose the garden. Guess what? It's exactly what happened. Because they had authority. What did God say in verse 26? Not only do I make them in my likeness and image, let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. And so guess what? They had dominion and they had authority and they had weapons of dominion and authority that all they had to do to Satan and to Lucifer, to to the, the, the serpent that Lucifer was speaking through was to say, get out of my garden. You don't have a right to be here. This is our garden. This is our earth. God gave us dominion over every creeping thing and you look like a creep. So you get out of here. But they didn't do that. So guess what? They didn't know themselves. They didn't know the enemy and they didn't know their weapons. So what happened? They lost their battles. They lost their battles. Well, didn't they already have authority and weren't they already made in the image of God? Exactly. So what was the problem? Lack of knowledge or forgetting, forgetting, forgetting who they are, forgetting who the enemy was, forgetting the weapons that they had been given. They should have focused and meditated on Genesis chapter one and they would have been able to handle Genesis chapter three. And I'm telling you, you should focus on what I'm saying today on Sunday, because then you'll be able to handle Monday. You're going to be able to handle Tuesday. You'll be able to handle whatever the enemy throws your way because you know who you are. You know yourself, you know your enemy and you know the weapons that you've been given. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be yelling again, but I'm just excited. I thought he was loving. I thought you were going to love us unconditionally. This is love. Okay, it's a little tough love, but it's not. It's giving you the it's awakening you to who you are, what you have. We got to stop letting the devil push us around, push our families around. You parents, you get in there with your kids. Stop being afraid of your teenagers. Stop thinking, well, you know, I don't want to look, you're going to have to realize you have to learn about teenage kids, man. They're made in the image of God, but they act like the devil from hell. No, just, kidding. just kidding, just kidding. But you got to stop being afraid and get in there and embrace your children, love your children. Talk to your children. Let them talk to you. Don't be afraid of what you're going to find out. You're going to find out some bad stuff. Don't be afraid of that. Get in their little hearts and be there and love them and walk them through stuff and stop letting them be raised by their phones and their electronic games. And that stuff ruins kids lives. If you don't watch over that stuff, you got to monitor all of that. You got to monitor all that. You got to we're, we're, we, we, we forget who we are. We're the parents. We forget who the enemy is. He's trying to get in there to your kid's heart and separate your child and make your child 
quiet and downtrodden and, 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 and not open up to his parents. And the devil is at work to destroy the youngest and destroy the young people. And we got to take them back and and realize, man, and not you can't raise your kids by yelling at them. You can't raise your kids by being mad at them. You raise your kids with the love and the kindness of God and some spankings along the way. Amen. And and do it in love and do it and, and, and hit him where it hurts, right in the rear end. You don't hit him anywhere else now. Amen. Now, I know I missed a few times with the kids as they were, you know, struggling, and, you know, waving their hands and feet. Oh, you hit my leg, Dad. Well, you shouldn't move it. <laughs> I don't know, man, is this even I'm going to get thrown in jail now for spanking. Come get me. You raise them. Let's see how you let's see how good you can do. Government can't do government. Can't raise your kids. Raise your kids. Love your kids. Embrace your kids. If you sandwich them with enough love, you'll be able to offer them good, healthy discipline, too. If it's just all discipline and no love, you're you're in trouble, Jack. Um, all right. So I don't know how we got off on that, but uh, let me tell you, let me tell you what happened. So they swallowed the lie. Adam and Eve swallowed the lie. The truth was they were already like God. But when they doubted it, when they doubted who they were, listen to what happened. When they doubted who they were, they began to lust for more. When they doubted who they were, they began to lust to be something more and to have more. Look at the tree. It looks good for food. It's desirable to eat and make one wise. Hey, that tree had been there the whole time. Why all of a sudden did it look differently now? Because when you see yourself differently, temptation looks different. When you see yourself different, everything looks different and everything needs to take on the image that you take on of yourself. So when you see yourself the way you really are, who you are in Christ, born again, child of God, sons and daughters, head and not the tail, above only, blessed coming in and blessed going out, more than conquerors through Christ who loved you. When you see yourself that way, then you see life and you see temptation and you see demons and you see what the enemy's trying to do. You see it in the right perspective because you see yourself the right way. But when you don't see yourself the right way, you begin to lust for more. You begin to have an appetite for more because you're compensating. You're trying to compensate for the deficiency you feel about yourself. So having this will make me feel better of, about myself or being this will make me feel better about myself. You don't have to feel better about yourself when you already know who you are and you have confidence in your true identity as a child of God and a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. Are you still with me? He a joint heir with Jesus. It's all about identity. It's all about knowing yourself first and then knowing the enemy. You got to know yourself. But remember, so the devil tried this with Adam and Eve and then he tried it again with Jesus. Jesus is, in, is being tempted for 40 days. Right. And what's the first thing the devil tells him? If you are the son of God, Matthew, chapter four, verse four, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Why didn't Jesus make the same mistake that Adam and Eve made? Because Jesus did not forget who he was. So Jesus didn't have to compensate 
for his deficiency of his identity. So he didn't need to turn the stones into bread to prove he was the son of God. He knew he was the son of God, regardless of his behavior, regardless of his actions, absent of any miracle that he would have to perform to validate himself. He got his validation from knowing that he was the son of his father. And the only validation you'll ever need is knowing that you're the son of your heavenly father, the daughter of your heavenly father. And then you don't have to do things to prove or to validate or to demonstrate or to prove how powerful you are. Now, when you lay hands on the sick, you don't lay hands on the sick to try to prove yourself a Christian. You lay hands on the sick as an overflow of knowing that you have authority over sickness and disease. You see, you don't you don't give generously because you're afraid that you're never going to have anything. You give generously as an overflow of having confidence that your father loves you and will always meet your need and he'll always take care of you. My God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Does that make sense? Jesus didn't have to compensate through his behavior to validate himself and his identity. He knew he was the son of God. And that's why he didn't turn the stones into bread. Could he have? Yes, he had the power to. But he didn't because he didn't need to prove that to the devil. So you need to know yourself and you need to know the enemy. And you need to know your weapons. And when you know the enemy, the Bible says it says first Peter, chapter five, verse seven. What does it say? Let's look there real quick and try to wrap this up. But first Peter, chapter five, verse seven says something. It says casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Verse eight. Look at what he says in verse eight. He says, be, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour resist him. Therefore, look at what he says. Resist him, therefore, firm in your faith or steadfast in your faith. The way that you resist the devil is by believing the word of God, believing the promises of God, believing what God says. That's the shield of faith. That's how you resist the devil. You don't resist the devil by defeating him. You re he, Jesus defeated him. You resist the devil by holding firm to your faith and believing the promises of God, no matter what the devil sends your way. OK, now, please get a hold of this, because this is this is where we have to know our enemy. We have to know what the devil is trying to do. He's trying to steal. He's trying to kill. He's trying to destroy you. And how does he do it? The path that the enemy uses is he uses the path through your mind. The devil's roadway into our lives is through our thinking. That's why it says in Ephesians six, ten. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. He said, put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You have to understand the devil is a schemer. He is wily. He is trying to trick you. He is trying to deceive you. And why, how does he do it? He tries to do it by getting you focused on three things. Here they are. And we'll tie this together and close. But he tries to deceive you by getting you focused on three things, your past. He gets us focused on our past. To condemn us. To beat us up. He gets us focused on people, what they've done to us, and he gets us focused on our pain, the brokenness that we felt in life. And this is why he does it. He gets you focused on your past to keep you in bondage to that that moment in time that you really blew it. 
and he keeps you focused on there. He wants you to be defined by that moment or those several moments in time where you failed. He wants you defined by those moments so he can confine you by those moments. He he wants you defined so you'll be confined. If you look at yourself through the eyes of this mistake and that mistake and you blew it back here and you blew it back there, you'll define yourself as a failure and you'll be confined to failure. And God doesn't want you to define yourself by a moment in time. He wants you to define yourself by what he calls you. Beloved son, sons and daughters, daughters of God, daughters of the king, sons of the of of God, sons of the of the of the Lord. This is what God. This is how God defines us more than conquerors. So Satan wants to get you focused on your past. He wants you to get focused on people. How does he get you focused on people? Get worried and you thought, think about all the things they did, they've done to you or the things they haven't done to you, the things they said about you or the things they didn't say about you that you, hey, this was your opportunity to really give me a compliment. Hey, stop expecting compliments from people. Compliment yourself. Look in the mirror and go, you look pretty good today. You go, you look in the mirror and ask yourself, hey, do you like your new hairdo? Yeah, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't like it. Of course I like it. Get with the program. You like it, too. Talk to yourself that way and and approve of yourself because God already approves of you. He already approves of you. So we got to stop getting all tied into what people think about us. You know, there's something you learn in life as you get older. You know, when, when you're 20, you think you're worried about what everybody thinks about you when you're 40. You stop worrying about what people think about you. But when you're 60, you realize nobody's thinking about you. That's freedom. That's true freedom. Nobody's thinking about you. We got to realize that. So we got to stop letting the devil use people to confine us and define us. And then he uses pain. Why? Because he wants you to stay broken and he wants you to stay focused on what is hurting you. He wants you to stay hurt and he wants you to stay broken by staying focused on what pain, what pain you're going through, rather than taking that pain to Jesus and saying, Lord, I thank you that you bore my pain. You carried away my diseases and by your stripes I'm healed. Listen, this is how the devil operates. He operates as a liar. He lies to you about your past. You'll never get out of it. Jesus tells you the truth. Your past is over. I've forgiven you and I'm not going to remember it anymore and I'm not going to bring it up to you again. The devil lies to you about people. They have so much power over you. But Jesus says, no, I freed you from people. The only person's approval you need is mine and I give it to you. Behold, I approve of you. And the devil lies to you about your pain. You'll never break out of this. You'll never get through this. You'll never overcome this. And Jesus brings the truth by saying, I've already healed you. I'll carry it away. I've borne your pain. Cast your care on me. I'll take care of it. And you see, that's how you understand how to know your enemy, to know how he operates. And then you need to know your weapons. You've been given the word of God. The greatest weapon of all is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And God has given you his word to open your mouth and to speak life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And when your words agree with the Bible, you're bringing life into this world. When your words disagree with the word of God, you're bringing death with your words. That's how powerful you are. Know your weapons and know how to use them.
you have been given power, love and a sound mind. You've been given the tongue of the wise. The Bible says the tongue of the wise is like choice silver. The tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the tongue of the wise is like apples of gold in settings of silver. The tongue of the wise brings breakthrough. The tongue of the wise uh, is lays the firm foundation. The tongue of the wise brings understanding and riches and wealth and increase and favor. And, and it's wisdom is powerful. And you've been given a tongue to manifest or to speak forth the wisdom of God. And what is the wisdom of God? The word of God is the wisdom of God. So when you speak God's word, you're bringing wisdom through your life, through your tongue, and it brings healing and it brings wealth and it brings success and it brings blessing, blessing. And when I talk about wealth, I'm not talking about everybody needs to be a billionaire. Everybody needs to be a millionaire. Talking about having wealth in your soul, having a healthy, wealthy soul and mind and emotions that are healthy and you're wealthy in your soul so you can be a blessing to others, so you can bring happiness to others, joy to others, pray for others, bring a, be a strength to others and financially too. God will bless you in your finances, too. If you if you'll believe him, if you'll see, if you'll go look up the promises of God's word and be a faithful steward of what you have, you'll always have more because God has put that principle into the universe. It's not like God's blessing some and not blessing others. He is he is put into the universe a system of stewardship that if you operate in it, properly, you'll always be successful. You'll hit some rocky roads and hit some some valleys, but you'll you'll come out on top because you now know how to win the battles of life. Know yourself, know the enemy and know your weapons. Well, thanks so much for listening. If this podcast has encouraged or inspired you in any way, I would love for you to share it with a friend, a family member or someone, you know, who would benefit from these messages. And make sure to subscribe if you haven't already so you never have to miss an episode. And I'd like to keep helping you cultivate your worth and fulfill God's purpose for your life. That's why this podcast exists. We're in this together. One can put a thousand to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. And your best is right ahead. God bless.